Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Life Science Report, a podcast from Back Bay Life Science Advisors. I'm your host, Peter Bach, a managing director here at Back Bay Life Science Advisors in Boston. My guest today is Mark Lamonnier, CEO of Antibio. Antibio is a clinical stage company located in France, developing novel antibiotic therapies. Mark is a molecular and cellular microbiologist by training with over 25 years experience in research and industry. Prior to founding Antibio, Mark held different research positions at various institutions globally, including INSERM in France and Emory University here in the States. He's authored peer review articles in the field of bacterial pathogenesis and antibiotic resistance. Mark is also a member of the board of the Beam Alliance, the European Alliance of Biopharmaceutical Companies Combating Antimicrobial Resistance, and a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of the Joint Programming Initiative on Antimicrobial Resistance. As we at Back Bay have written and spoken about the issues facing the antibiotic field, the growing rates of antimicrobial resistance, and the continuing issues with the commercial models for antibiotics, both of which have been brought to the fore with the global pandemic, I invited Mark to come and give us an update as he is involved in a number of regional and global initiatives to address these issues. Mark, welcome to the podcast and a pleasure to have you here on the Life Science Report. Hello, Peter, and thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. So, Mark, much has been written about the current state of antibiotic development and the need for novel agents to address antimicrobial resistance. Can you provide us here with an update on the clinical landscape? Yes, sure, Peter. So, antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, which is when bacteria or other microorganisms become resistant to the drugs that we use against them, of course, we know it's a huge public health problem, kills more than 700,000 people. Uh, in the world every year, and it's expected that it could kill uh, up to 10 million people by 2050, which is more than cancer today. So there's been a number of global organizations that have been looking at this problem from different angles, organizations like the Wellcome Trust, the Pew Trust, or, or WHO. And WHO in particular has looked at the global clinical and, and uh, epidemiology landscape. To come up with a list of priorities, a uh, sort of list of most wanted deadly superbugs, if you, if you will, and, um, and, and and you know that has become a, a, like a, a standard to look at at the problem and at the magnitude and the extent of, of the problem. And there's three conclusions from their work that uh, really strike me when they look at what are the um, what is the pipeline to address those priorities. Right, first the pipeline is insufficient. Second, mm -hmm. the priorities are basically wrong. And third, mm -hmm. the innovation is mostly carried out by small companies that are struggling mm -hmm. to survive. So, so if you allow me just to detail a little bit these three things, because I think it's very mm -hmm. important. So there is roughly 70 antibacterial products in clinical development right now, when at the same time, you have around 6,000 clinical development <laughs> projects targeting different forms of cancer. That's for every 100 new cancer products under development, there is one antibacterial product. So if we're mm. talking about comparable and met needs, I mean, <laughs> the gap is astonishing. Yeah. And then only about a third of those novel antibacterials are targeting WHO priority pathogens. 
which means we need to improve the way we set our goals and we need to incentivize the development of drugs that focus on the most pressing unmet needs. And third, and I and end up with this, 80% of the innovation is with small and medium biotech companies yeah. that are, as you know, for the most part, struggling for access to capital. So this is a fragile and dangerous situation. And uh, the take-home message is something needs to be done in order to revitalize that pipeline and also to bring clinical utility and unmet needs back at the heart of the priorities or, you know, we'll lose the battle. Yeah, yeah. And in, 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 in a great summary, great summary, Mark. And, and obviously, I'd be remiss without... Uh, asking what seems to be at the forefront of everyone's mind, regardless of the topic, be it the pharmaceutical industry or otherwise. But, you know, how has COVID and the pandemic, uh, you know, exacerbated or accelerated some of the issues that that, that you outlined? So COVID is interesting because it, it has impacted the problem in different and sometimes antagonistic ways. So, for example, mm -hmm. the number of antibiotic prescriptions has increased dramatically with a large majority yeah. of patients uh, getting antibiotics when only a portion of those patients had documented bacterial infections and actually needed them. So this has interfered with stewardship efforts and in principle, that should lead to, to more resistance happening. So we're waiting mm -hmm. for that data, but I, I suspect it will, it will not look good. But on the other hand, COVID has raised awareness on, on what a pandemic looks like and, and, and how it yeah. can affect health and the economy and society as a whole. And it has also shown that governments and the private sector can achieve a great deal when it comes to addressing a health emergency. That is good. And I'm hoping that that success could be replicated in the context of fighting AMR. Sure, sure, yeah. And and, and so sort of moving to to how people are trying to address you know some of these issues that have been you know longstanding even before the the, the pandemic. You know, as as we said at the outset, you're involved in a number of working groups, the Beam Alliance. JPI AMR. Can you tell us a little about each one of these groups and, and what they hope to accomplish? Yeah, sure. So BIM and JPI AMR are two different organizations and they're complementary uh, within the AMR ecosystem. So JPI AMR is an international collaborative platform engaging 29 nations and also the European Commission. And, and what they do is actually coordinate national research funding so basically, they outline the key knowledge gaps on AMR and then they support collaborative action for filling those gaps. Um, and they do that with a One Health perspective, which means they look at AMR as a human, but also an animal health and an environmental health problem. So they will develop joint research programs and they've invested about $140 million so far. Mm. Um, and they, they work with other international funding initiatives to support the discovery of new treatments, but also can be generating new knowledge on transmission mechanisms and also interventions to uh, protect current antibiotics. The BIM Alliance, on the other hand, represents over 60 European uh, small and medium-sized companies. And all mm -hmm. those companies, of course, focusing on developing solutions to fight antimicrobial resistance. Uh, the goal of BEAM is to propose and support policies and incentives in antimicrobial R&D in Europe, uh, mm -hmm. and at the same time, of course, seeking alignment with other initiatives in the world and advocating for efforts that can actually fit with the business model of, of small companies. And that's 
Yeah. That's really critical <laughs> because, again, SMEs, yeah. uh, those small companies, are holding 80% of the antimicrobial yeah. products. So if, if we want to revitalize the antibacterial pipeline, and we must, then yeah. the quickest and most efficient way to, is to support the SMEs, really, because and building yeah. a sustainable economic environment that works for them so that they can bring, you know, these best drugs to the to the finish line. Yeah. And, and you know, you're just picking up on that topic of, of building a, a, a economic environment that helps promote innovation. You know, much has been written in the industry of of push incentives, you know, helping get drugs into and through the clinic quickly, you know, pull incentives, helping them get used and incentivized once on the market. So, you know, a number of EU countries have have implemented these these pull incentives as it were. So, perhaps you could provide us an update from the EU perspective on those initiatives. Sure, yeah. Roughly, we're seeing two different kind of approaches being tested through pilot initiatives in in different countries in Europe, as as you just uh, outlined. The first kind of approach um, are the so-called subscription models, whereby a mm-hmm. government pays in order to have access to important antibiotics in a way that is the link from their sales volume. That's very important. Yeah. And that's why some of these incentives are, are sometimes referred to as Netflix models, you know, because if okay. a country needs one unit of the antibiotic or 10,000 units a month, it's the same price. And yeah. just as if you're watching nothing at all or watching five movies a day on, on, on Netflix, <laughs> you pay the same price. So yeah. that has a very big advantage, which is it takes the pressure off any need to overmarket. And that yep. is fully aligned with stewardship and appropriate use, uh, appropriate use which is excellent, absolutely needed. Yep. And then there's another very important side to it. It gives antibiotic developers a revenue guarantee, which mm-hmm. takes off a lot of uncertainty and allows investors to build predictable revenue models. So yep. in England, that pilot that's being implemented right now consists of 100 million subscription over 10 years. Mm-hmm which is in the range of England's fair share of the antibiotic value if the pilot becomes permanent, right? Mm -hmm. The Swedish subscription program is slightly different in the sense that it's not meant to be an R&D incentive, but rather a mechanism for Sweden to ensure access to an approved drug. So the amount is 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 lower, but, you know, it could be escalated or scaled up, sorry, to become an R&D incentive. And then Germany and France are taking a different approach and, and they're implementing reimbursement reforms that actually allow awarding higher prices for important antibiotics. So this has re- mm. really two very different mechanisms. And in the case of France and Germany, the upside is entirely dependent on sales. So the downside yeah. is it's not a delinked model, right? Um, And very exciting that the EU level, the European Commission has presented its revised pharmaceutical strategy for Europe last year. And uh, that has two exciting developments. So very quickly, first, they they want to create HERA, which is the European Agency for Pandemic Preparedness. It's like BARDA in the US could, could coordinate funding and ideally even perhaps provide a first market uptake through stockpiling or, or, or things like that. Mm-hmm, so very mm-hmm. exciting. And the second thing is a flagship initiative to come up with a European pool incentive. 
for uh, innovative antimicrobials. And that is currently under public consultation, and the expectation is that it could take place, you know, some in a reasonable time frame, whatever that means when, when we're talking about <laughs> Europe, right? <laughs> uh, but there's high hopes that Europe could have its pool incentive that would look like the Pasteur Act, which is which what you guys in the US yep. are, are yep. currently evaluating. I think it's, it will be part of the Cures 2.0 bill that has been introduced in US Congress, and that is also. A subscription, uh, uh, you know, model. So very exciting. Yeah, yeah. excellent. And so you, you know, you, you began to, to to touch on this as you begin to look and talk to some of your colleagues outside the EU and globally. Where do you still see the gaps that remain to be filled from the reimbursement side, and and what do you see from, you know, how how you see the field moving in so far as is the preferred way to potentially address these issues. So we have to think globally, and this is a global problem, and it, it really affects everyone, every country. So one of the data that really struck me this year was the one that showed that some of the recently approved antibiotics are not even being commercially launched in some of the wealthiest countries in the world. Mm -hmm. And we're talking G7 mm -hmm. countries here and some of the European countries. And the reason why some of those drugs are not even being launched is because the cost of launching the products, given the low reimbursement, is too daunting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So just imagine what the situation will look like for low and middle income countries if nothing is done. So for me, yeah. global access to this new antibiotic is a real issue and is one of the main gaps that, that come to my mind when thinking about uh, you know, how to solve this problem. Then another important gap is... Uh, value assessment. So the way yeah. health technology agencies traditionally evaluate new drugs is by assessing the direct benefit to patients. And then, well, they come up with a cost-effectiveness evaluation to end up with a recommended price for a particular drug. For antibiotics, the situation is different because they have additional attributes of value way beyond the direct health effect to the individual patient. And that is yeah. because they just enable the very existence of modern medicine, because they make it possible to you know, perform medical procedures that put you at risk of getting an infection, like surgery, childbirth, cancer treatment. So they act as safety nets for all uh, yeah. healthcare, pretty much like fire extinguishers, right? And capturing yeah. that additional value beyond the individual clinical benefit, that's very difficult to do. Um, but yeah. I... I must say that NICE, the UK Health Technology Agency, is doing a fantastic job in the context of the UK pilot in trying to, you know, at, capture that value into their model. Yeah. So what, what's the best way to address this issue? What kind of pool mechanism? Well, that's, that's a million-dollar question. You know, it could be a subscription model or market entry reward or maybe a transferable exclusivity voucher whereby a company yeah. developing a new antibiotic, you know, would be entitled to receive... A transferable right to extend the exclusivity period of another product. So I don't think there's, there will be a one-size-fits-all solution that works for every country. But I guess, and sorry, I'm, I'm being a bit long, but this is really very critical no, no. thing. Yeah. I, I guess we can agree on what would be absolutely needed for a pool incentive to succeed. It has to reward new drugs that have the highest societal value and clinical utility. That's a no-brainer, yeah. but it has to protect stewardship as well. You know, revenues must, must yeah. be yep. at least partially delinked 
from sales. And it has to be large enough to incentivize innovation and to enable global access, as I said at the beginning. Uh, and that means every country needs to pull its weight and pay its fair share yeah. uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, it must be a global and, and coordinated solution. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of a, a ironic. We work, you know, all across the industry and it's such an interesting space where the field is is clamoring for new products that they almost want to then not use yeah. um you know due to all the issues you outlined particularly around around stewardship yeah um, that's the problem you know and, and, and the and the voucher issue you brought up is is interesting and i don't you know plenty of people have written about you know the, the subscription model but um you know the us has had the the voucher mechanism for you know certain diseases and rare pediatric um uh type of opportunities and you know in, in the secondary market for those vouchers has been spotty but it's something that could be certainly a complement you know uh to any number of one of these mechanisms that you talk about thinking about you know, it doesn't have to be an either-or situation, but potentially implementing you know, multiple of these um, exactly. incentives that you outlined. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that none of those uh, models is perfect, but you know, it could work in different countries, different situations. What you want is really to protect. At the end of the day, patients should pay the fair price for a drug that is giving them a lot of extra value beyond yeah. just you know treating their their disease. Yeah, yeah. So, Mark, at the you know along the way, you you you've talked a lot about how most of the innovation currently is being conducted on the you know small company level. So, want to provide you an opportunity as the CEO of Antibio to you know tell us a little bit about uh, your company, an overview of the the platform and 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 programs that you're working on. Yeah, well, my pleasure. So we're developing at Antabio new therapies for severe and life-threatening uh, multi-drug resistance infections. And our strategy is really to design drugs that break the resistance or the virulence of the bacteria so that the pathogens are disarmed and, and the antibiotics can work again to kill those, kill those bugs. So that's, that's mm -hmm. our approach. And our portfolio consists of three programs. And these, these three programs, they focus on the highest unmet needs in the AMR space. So that's a real strict focus mm -hmm. that we have. The, the first one called MBLI is addressing deadly infections caused by new deadly metallobitalactamase producing pathogens. Sorry mm -hmm. for the long name. But these are very <laughs> prevalent superbugs in Asia and spreading worldwide. And they're causing a lot of concern because, you know, there's high mortality and there's essentially no treatment. So it's a kind of slow motion mm -hmm silent pand pandemic, if you, if you will. The second program, SBLI, it's a broad-spectrum combination drug uh, addressing respiratory infections such as hospital-acquired pneumonia or ventilator-associated pneumonia, which is a huge problem in hospitals, mm -hmm. even more so with COVID, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. and there's very high mortality rates. Yeah. And the strength of that program is in its differentiation because it has a broad spectrum of action that includes Acinetobacter baumani, which is a highly resistant yeah. and difficult to treat pathogen. It's actually WHO's most wanted superbug, if you will. 
So okay. those two programs have completed preclinical development and they're being prepared for entering, entering phase one. Um, and then we have a third, an earlier stage program called PEI, which is a highly innovative antivirulence inhaled drug. And that one mm -hmm. we're positioning for treating chronic infections uh, caused by another WHO priority pathogen called Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And the discovery and early development of that program uh, has been funded by the Wellcome Trust and, and Carbex. So right. all of our programs are focusing on WHO critical priority pathogens because that's where the un true unmet needs are. And that's the kind of products that we believe, you <laughs> know, pull incentives will be supporting in the future. Yeah. And, and those programs, they're at an ideal stage of development to mature in sync with the rollout of the international pool incentives. So in a way, we're kind of <laughs> preparing the yeah. company to be ready when the revolution comes, you know, sure. uh, with sure. highly differentiated clinical stage programs that, that will address true people's needs and, and I hope will create exciting opportunities with large pharma uh, companies. And right now we're raising a Series B to fund the company you know, as all biotechs, we're raising money, right? Always raising money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Up to the next value inflection point, and we have a strong support from our historical in investors. And interestingly, we're about to announce a multi-million uh, non-dilutive funding from the French government uh, to one of our... Okay. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, that now all the countries are, are starting to... to to be awake mm -hmm. and to yeah. and to understand uh, there's a global recognition of the problem and and France is going to be supporting us with funding one of our programs so we're you know we're really excited and uh, I think Great. it's exciting thanks for for AMR yeah. and especially for our company yeah 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 wonderful <laughs> well we'll be keeping a close eye on on Antibio and the and, and the progress and 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 you know wish you the best of success there and also certainly as we discussed with all the the initiatives and groups that you're you're working on to help uh, try to solve and and, and implement uh, these problems. So so thank you so very much, Mark, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Peter, for the invitation. A pleasure. Mm -hmm.